Good evening. My name is Marlon Ferrugia, and I'd like to welcome you to the first in a series of programs I've decided to call Uneasy Dreams. These are stories imagined, written, and read by me. I hesitate to categorize them. Suffice it to say that, for the most part, they are unsettling, unexpected, and uncanny. But don't let that put you off, as I've been sure to put in a few knob gags for the discerning listener. I hope you enjoy. Episode 1, Buford. I have always loved dogs, but the thought of getting my own had never crossed my mind until one nearly bit my children. Every day on the walk home from school, we would pass a terrace of narrow, clay-coloured houses, each with its own fenced-off front yard. On this day in particular, a small brown mongrel stood in one of the yards. A wide pink tongue lolled out of his mouth, and he was panting hard. Mummy, my daughter said, look. Yes, sweetie, look at the doggy. I felt my son's grip on my hand tighten, but my daughter, the elder of the two, was already headed for the fence. Careful, I said, his tail isn't wagging. He might not be... The dog erupted into a frenzy of violent barks. He had a deep bark for his size. It reverberated off the adjacent terrace and bounced back at us from behind. Screaming, my daughter ran back and clung, limpet-like, onto my leg. My son's hand clamped around mine like a vice. They made me turn back the way we had come and find another route home. That afternoon, I couldn't help thinking about the lives I was setting my children up for. I knew of people who were so terrified of dogs that they would suffer debilitating panic attacks at the mere sound of a bark. A friend of mine was bitten by a dog as a child. Nothing serious. I expect it didn't even break the skin. However, the trauma stayed with him and developed into a full-blown phobia. I once saw him, a grown man, climb out of the sunroof of my car to avoid a barking dog in the locked car next to us. Did I want to burden my children by allowing the same rationality to infect their pliable young minds? By the time I put them to bed that night, I'd resolved to get us our very own family dog. It was the responsible thing to do. A few days later, I picked the children up from school in the car. As we drove out of town, through forest and farmland, I filled them in on the plan. By the time we pulled up at the animal rescue centre, I had converted their apprehension into excitement. The visitor's car park was empty but for one other car. It must have been at least 30 years old and had seen heavy use. The bonnet bore a port wine stain of rust over its beige paintwork and the windows were so dusty they were opaque. As the kids and I stepped out onto the crunchy car park gravel, its door opened and the driver emerged. A tall, rail-thin man, wearing dark glasses on an overcast day. Excuse me, he called. My body tensed. He had a reedy, strained voice, like a child with a pack-a-day smoking habit. I looked at him, saying nothing. You're here to get a dog? He was only partly out of his car, his top half perched up over the roof, while his feet stayed in the footwell. Um, I said. Perhaps. Why? I've got a dog, he said. Brought him here so they could rehome him. I can't keep him no more, but they said they're full up. Lovely boy he is, and he needs a home. Thought I'd give you the option. 
Be easier than adopting one from here. No red tape or nothing. You can go home with him right now. He gestured back at the boot of his car, where the dog was presumably stashed. I couldn't see into the car for the muck on the windows. There was no sign of movement from within. No sound. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to offer, but I... A broad smile stretched out over his face, as if he felt his pitch had gone splendidly, and he was close to sealing the deal. No offence, of course, but I'd feel better about going through the proper channels. His smile didn't lessen one millimetre. I hope you find a home for him, though. Fair dues, said the man. Lovely boy like this. I'll find someone who wants him in no time. Good luck, I said. The man stayed half out of his car as I walked the children into the centre, smiling at us all the while. Inside the kennels, we soon met the perfect dog. His name was Sonny, and he was a six-month-old boxer. He had a bobtail and light brown fur with white socks on his front legs. He took to the kids right away, and vice versa. The staff informed us that Sonny had been rescued from an unlicensed breeder whom the police had shut down due to neglectful conditions. Despite his rough beginnings, he was perfectly happy around children and other dogs. The arrangements were made. Following an inspection of our home, Sonny would come to live with us later in the week. I dedicated any spare moment over the next few days to converting the house into a canine paradise. I spent a little over a hundred pounds on toys, food, treats, leashes. I bought a dog bed so soft and plush I was tempted to curl up in it myself. We collected Sonny that Friday, straight after school. I drove back from the animal rescue, my children screaming with delight, our new dog's tail pounding against the floor of the car. As we pulled into the drive for the first time with Sonny, our neighbour Claudia stood in her front garden. Claudia was in her late fifties, widowed a few years earlier. She waved as we parked up. Once I had let Sonny out of the car and she caught sight of him, she let out a squeal of unfiltered delight. Why, who's this handsome boy? Who's this? Sonny bolted straight at Claudia and began licking her face like it was made out of salami. What's your name? He's called Sonny and he's mine, said my daughter. Is he now? Hello, Sonny, you lovely boy. Now, now, he's the whole family's, I said. Where did you get him? asked Claudia. From the animal rescue out past Whistledown. I thought I noticed a spark in Claudia's eyes normally weary above her omnipresent smile. Maybe I'll have to give them a visit, she said. There was a dog park a few minutes from our cul-de-sac, eight acres of lush grass and flowering trees with a fenced perimeter. Twice a day I would take Sonny there, letting him off the leash to rock it up and down the hill. He seemed incapable of wearing out. In the afternoon, the kids would join me, throwing tennis balls for Sonny and mysteriously disappearing when the time came to pick up his mess. There were always other dogs in the park, no matter how early or late we went. I was constantly surprised at the variety of breeds, many I couldn't name. There were crossbreeds, which were identifiable just from a look, a husky and a corgi, say. And there were those I never would have guessed without asking their owners, which conjured up undesirable images of the union that caused them. Chihuahua, St. Bernard. A week or so after we got sunny, the four of us went to the park. The winter sun was low in the sky and kept dipping in and out from behind the clouds to momentarily sting my eyes. We were at the top of the hill when, from further down, a familiar voice called my name. Who's that? I asked, squinting through the glare. It's Claudia, said my daughter. She was right, I saw. 
There was Claudia, headed for us at a brisk, not-quite-jogging pace. She wasn't alone. The thing next to Claudia was not a dog. It walked on four legs, had a tail, and wore a collar and leash. That was where the similarities ended. Its face was flat, but not squashed like a bulldog's. It had watery golden eyes, a piebald nose, and a narrow, pouting mouth. Its fur was short, and not any colour a dog should be. Iridescent like an oil slick, it shimmered in the light, at times a pallid blue-grey, at others a putrid brownish-green. It was not a small creature. Easily it was as tall as a Great Dane, but stockier, with a shoulder span as wide as a small rowboat. You could have ridden it into battle. It walked with a gentle plod, at the pace of an octogenarian, though it didn't seem infirm in any way. The nearer it got, the more aware I became of an unnatural odour, not unlike burning rubber. It prickled in my nostrils. My word, I couldn't help but say. What? I mean, who's this? Isn't he gorgeous, said Claudia. His name is Buford. Whenever Sonny had met a new dog over the past week, he had shot on over to them and started sniffing. Presented with Buford, Sonny had become eerily quiet. He backed away as Buford drew nearer, until the leash was straining in my hand. Is he from the animal rescue? I asked. I don't remember seeing him when we went. You know, it was the strangest thing, said Claudia. I looked at every dog in the place, and as lovely as they all were, I just didn't feel a connection with any of them. Right as I was about to head home, there in the car park was this man in an old rusty car. That is how we came to live next door to Buford. Our house shed a wall with Buford's house. Our gardens adjoined, split only by a six-foot wooden fence. Buford spent much of his days in the garden, it seemed. Sunny or stormy, when I looked out the window of the upstairs corridor, I would see him out there sat on his haunches, unmoved by the world around him. It was the same at night. Whenever I got up for a drink or to use the bathroom, there he was, in the usual spot. Sometimes he would look back at me. Those golden eyes would burn through the darkness, and I would shiver. I never once heard Buford make a sound. Sonny would bark at anything. The postman, other dogs on TV. He whimpered. He sighed, he snored. Buford, from what I saw through the window and heard through the wall, had taken a vow of silence. There was something about the way he moved, the unmotivated plod of his feet, that set my stomach churning. To be around Buford was to sense a great danger lurking just out of view. Sonny must have felt the same, as whenever Buford sat on the other side of the fence, it was impossible to coax him into the garden. But Claudia was besotted. Every time I saw them walking in the park, she radiated maternal pride. She soon took to adorning Buford with polka-dotted neckerchiefs, a different colour for every day of the week. I began visiting the park less and less. Our cul-de-sac backed onto a small forest, and Sonny and I would take our walks through it, in deep mud and dense brambles. Now and then another walker would pass, but isolation was the prevailing mood, and other than polite nods, we would ignore each other. I tried to make our walks last as long as possible, but no matter how much ground we covered, we would always end up at home. 
separated only by a foot of brick from the creature next door. You know I'm loath to ask, said Claudia, a faint tremble in her voice, but I've no option. She stood on my doorstep, a rolling suitcase propped up at her side. Her mother in Scotland had taken ill, and she had to leave right away, and would it be at all possible for me to take care of Buford while she was gone? He wouldn't need to stay here, of course. You can just let yourself in to feed him and walk him. That'll be plenty of company. He's, he's very independent. I racked my brain for any conceivable excuse. Surely I had some last-minute holiday or invasive surgery booked in that had slipped my mind. Well, I said, what kind of neighbour would I be if I refused? She thrust her spare keys into my hand. I've left a note with the details on the kitchen counter. She was already halfway down the drive, headed for a car. He's all walked for today. He just needs his din-din at six. It was a quarter to eight before I mustered the courage to face him alone. Claudia's house was clean, yet musty, as if the windows had never been opened. That rubbery smell was immediately apparent, but I saw no sign of Buford. In the kitchen, I found the tin food and pulled the tab. I half expected to find some slick alien substance within, but it was ordinary meat, the same kind Sonny ate. As I placed his bowl on the floor, he appeared in the doorway. I'd not been this close to him since I'd stopped visiting the park. What was it about him that upset me so? Even the ugliest of dogs, the droopiest hound, the rattiest chihuahua, had a kind of trustworthiness. Buford had nothing. He was not friendly, nor aggressive. He merely was. He sat on his haunches just looking at me. He made no move towards his food. Behind him was the front door. I would have to squeeze past him to leave the house. The thought brought acid to the back of my throat. Look, Buford, I tried, mustering the same sing-song voice I spoke to Sonny with. Where's your food? Go get your food. I pointed to his dish in the corner of the room. Buford remained stoic. There was nothing to be done. I inched towards the doorway, Buford's gaze never leaving mine. When I was as close as I could get without pushing past him, I took a breath and slid through the gap between his body and the doorframe. My hand brushed his fur as I did so, and I recoiled. It felt like burnt polyester carpet. The next morning, I brought Sonny with me to Claudia's house. He whimpered as I opened the door and refused to cross the threshold. I took Buford and Sonny into the forest, as I couldn't have stood being on the receiving end of the revolted looks that came Buford's way. I had to hold my left arm, which held Sonny's lead, fully extended, as he wouldn't walk any closer than the full extent of the rope would allow. Once we had passed through the woodland, we came into an expanse of wild heath. I let both dogs off the lead. Sonny, untethered, made for the hills, and disappeared into some bracken on the border of the next field. Buford just stood, calmly waiting to be clipped back onto the lead. I had a tennis ball in my pocket for Sonny to fetch. Experimentally, I held it in Buford's eyeline. Fetch, Buford, I said. I threw the ball, not too far. It bounced twice, then settled in the tall grass. Buford ignored it. I felt in another pocket, found some bone-shaped biscuits. How about this, Buford? You want a treat? 
I snapped a bone in two, threw it on the ground directly in front of him. He stood. He stared. What is wrong with you, Buford? I asked. A wave of shame washed over me, as if I'd made a Freudian slip in polite company. But I went on. What even are you? You're not a dog. You can't be. Dogs fetch, don't they, Buford? Dogs bark. What kind of dog doesn't bark, Buford? What is it you want? Why did you come here, Buford? Why me? What did I do to warrant this torment? I hate you, Buford. You disgust me. I can't stand to look at you. Every time I do, I wonder, what's he going to do? Will he snap at me? Does he want to eat me? But you don't do a thing, and I feel like a fool. A stupid, scared fool. As I finished my diatribe, a fly came buzzing about Buford's head. It landed on that strange, flat nose of his, and crawled a few inches this way, a few the other. Buford gave no reaction. Days passed. I spent only as much time with Buford as was completely necessary. In the evenings, Claudia would call and fill me in on her mother's condition. She's on the mend, she would say. I'm sure I'll be able to come back in a day or two. One morning, I let myself in to find Buford in the front hall, splayed out on the floor. It wasn't a position I'd seen him take before. He looked like an overstuffed bearskin rug. He was breathing, just. I tentatively stepped around his body to look at him from the front. His eyes were closed. His mouth hung open and the thin grey tongue lolled out. Then the smell hit me. Not just the usual tire-fire miasma, but a sickly, noxious stench that brought to mind rotting fruit. Pinching my nose, I bent down for a closer look. Out of Buford's skin seeped a dark, greasy liquid. Patches of his fur were totally saturated, and a large stain was visible on the carpet beneath him. Buford was not well. Buford? I said. He briefly opened one eye, then shut it again. For the first time, to my knowledge, he made a sound, a thin sigh. I knew then that he had to see a vet. From a hook on the wall, I took his lead and clipped it onto his collar, doing my best to avoid the black discharge leaking from him. I pulled the lead, as firmly as I could without choking him. After a few tugs, he relented and struggled to his feet. Even with all four of the windows open, his odour filled my car. I drove with the collar of my jumper tucked up over my nose to filter out the worst of it. The vet happened to be stood by the reception desk as I brought Buford in. He smelled him before he saw him, his nose wrinkling in distaste, before catching sight of him and making an odd choking sound. What is wrong? said the vet. He had a soft accent I couldn't identify. I don't know, I said, but he's leaking this stuff. The vet put on a fresh rubber glove and wiped a finger against Buford's fur. He sniffed it, then narrowed his eyes. I think I better take him right in. You stay out here. Give your details to reception. The vet took Buford's lead from me 
then walked him into an examination room. I sat in the waiting area and waited. A hairless cat was brought in, examined and discharged, all within 20 minutes. There was a stack of magazines on the coffee table in front of me, the kinds printed in lurid primary colours, with headlines like, I left him, so he stole my baby, over pictures of smiling middle-aged women. I flipped through one, but could only read a sentence or two before my mind trailed off, and I'd have to start the paragraph over. Eventually I gave up, returning the magazine to the pile, and did nothing as I waited but jiggle my legs nervously. After most of an hour, the vet returned from the examination room. He spoke barely above a whisper, though there was nobody around but the receptionist. I'm afraid he is dead. He was looking over my shoulder, avoiding my gaze. But what was wrong with him? I cannot say. It is unclear. He ran his tongue over his teeth, calculating his words. This animal, he said, where did you find him? He's my neighbour's. She got him from the dog rescue. I neglected to include the specifics. I see. And yet, I do not believe he was a dog. Not from what I saw. When he died, well, how did it happen? Did his heart just stop? Listen to me, said the vet. It is better that you not know. The sun was just cresting behind muddy grey clouds as I returned to my car. That nauseous stench, now soaked into the fabric of the seats, was all that remained of Buford. However am I going to tell Claudia? I wondered as I turned the key in the ignition.